Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Valent Technical Podcast. I'm Mark Wilkins, Technology and Training Director with Valent, and your host for this podcast. In today's episode, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the topic of hydrogen and its role within a low-carbon future. The topic of reducing carbon emissions across the country is high on the agenda for the UK government, and as such, we've seen several announcements recently, such as the Sixth Carbon Budget, the Future Home Standard, and the Energy White Paper, all of which point to a low-carbon future. Within this, the need to decarbonise the way we heat our homes, including both new build and retrofit projects, has understandably been placed under the microscope. But while the direction is clear, the roadmap of how we achieve these carbon reductions is not so straightforward. Of course, one route is via heat pump technology, which can be installed here and now, meaning homeowners can reduce their carbon footprints immediately. However, for many across the industry, much attention is placed on hydrogen and its role within the decarbonisation jigsaw puzzle. Yet while the solution itself may seem simple, it's important to remember that many installers have questions regarding hydrogen, such as how it works, its benefit, and what we will need to do differently when making the transition to installing hydrogen-ready boilers. As part of my role here at Valent, I'm responsible for spearheading the development of this technology across the business, and this has seen us invest in the development of hydrogen-ready boilers and to start looking at the development of hydrogen training programmes. I'm sure you all agree this is a big topic, and it's one that's close to my heart. So I'm pleased to have some great guests joining me today. Spencer Clark, Commercial Director here at Valent, Steve Keaton, Air Director of External Affairs and Future Portfolio, and Mark Danter, Senior Project Manager with Northern Gas Networks. Firstly, thanks to you all for joining me. Spencer, do you want to kick things off by introducing yourself and telling us a bit about your role at Valent? Hi, Mark. Yeah, thanks. My name is Spencer Clark. I'm the Commercial Director of Valent of the UK and Ireland. I've been with the business over 17 years and I've worked in the plumbing and heating industry over 30 years. So in my role, I look after everything, all the sectors in Scotland and Ireland. So that would be one-off, specification, commercial. And in England and Wales, I look after the one-off and the commercial side of the business. So it's a very, very exciting time to, within our industry and uh, it's great to be here. So it's uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, thank you, Spencer, and welcome. And now to Steve, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what your role at Valent entails, please? Hi, Mark. Thanks for the invite. Um, yes, Director of External Affairs and Future Portfolio. This is really looking um, at uh, relationships with both government, ministers uh, and officials and trade associations to try and understand where things are going in terms of legislation and regulations, etc. And obviously the decarbonisation topic, which we're going to pick up uh, today. Thank you, Steve. And last but by no means least, Mark Danter. Um, Mark, can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself and your area of responsibility, please? So, yeah, um, I'm one of the senior project managers at Northern Gas Networks. Um, I originally started out as a graduate scheme as BP. Uh, I've worked for various different consultancies over the years, uh, but I've been working with Northern Gas now since 2012. Um, originally with the programme manager for delivering the capital projects portfolio, uh, but more recently, in the last just over four years, I've been uh, leading the work on uh, hydrogen um, and that inc- started originally back, uh, I say, early 2017, when we put our original uh, funding bid in with uh, Ofgem for uh, our first phase of work. Uh, Responsibility-wise, um, um, as I say, responsible for the uh, suite of H21 projects, um, which is looking at uh, the repurposing of the gas network uh, for hydrogen going forward. 
Um, I'm also um, chair of the um, Network Safety and Impacts Board, which is led by the government uh, body uh, part of BASE. So glad to be here today. Yeah, thank you, Mark, and welcome. Before we get into the detail of the subject, I think it's important we talk a little bit about why we're actually doing this podcast in the first place. Spencer, do you want to kick things off and set the scene for this episode, please? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mark. I think it's important to state that the idea of these podcasts is to try and give a a single source of truth and an ability for Valent as a business to communicate to the installers in language they understand, number one, and really demystify some of the issues we have in the industry. So the biggest driver for me with this podcast was the confusion that's out there. And that confusion is on several levels. If we can if we can start with the UK government and hydrogen co- confusion to start with, shall we say, you've got U- UK legislation change in 2025. Now, this is great UK legislation change. It's the right thing to do. We're all behind it. But the confusion behind that is, will it be all boilers that need to be hydrogen ready by 2025 or just new boilers that are coming to market? And that's not clear. And people are playing politics with that information or the lack of clarity. On the other side of that, you've got the International Energy Agency statement very a few weeks ago stating that they believe that all fossil fuels should be actually banned from being used from 2025 again, adding to the confusion. And we're not helping ourselves as an industry. We're not actually having one clear voice telling the installer what's happening, what they need to do going forward, and more importantly, educating the end user. The technologies for a low-carbon future are varied, and they have different ways of engaging with the end user. So we have to educate the end user on how to use an air-to-water heat pump, which is different to a gas boiler. And all these things can only happen if we've got the one source of truth. So we need to ensure we are taking this message to the marketplace to help our installers and help the specifiers and the end users on there. This isn't a VHS and a Betamax discussion. This is how we utilise all the technologies that we have to hand, making sure we use the best of them to ensure that we have the best planet for the future of our children going forward. Thanks, Spencer. Following on from that, I think it's important that we expand slightly on, on Spencer's point around the confusion about decarbonisation and spend a minute or so outlining some of the drivers behind low-carbon heating solutions. Steve, do you want to start by explaining why decarbonising the way we heat our homes is so important and some of the reasons behind this? Yeah, certainly. I think from a UK perspective, the big driver is the fact that we have now um, legislated that by 2050 uh, we will uh, achieve uh, net zero carbon. Um, and therefore this is obviously to try and um, achieve and restrict the uh, the global warming uh, in the atmosphere down to two or one and a half degrees. Um, as well as the 2050 target, uh, we have a 2035 target that has recently been agreed that will reduce our carbon emissions to 78% of the levels back in 1990. When you look at these levels and where the actual carbon is coming from, heating for our home contributes carbon emissions to the atmosphere, second only behind transport. So therefore it's essential that going forward to hit these targets we decarbonise heat in the home. And that particular point has been picked up both in the 10-point plan and the ensuing white paper, uh, but also it's starting to be driven into uh, the future home standard, which was mentioned earlier, and the future building standards, which maybe we will pick up a little bit later. Okay, let's start at the beginning. And as I say, hydrogen is a topic that's close to my heart and something I've been working on for a few years. I think it's important to cover the basics. Steve, Do you want to take this one and tell us what hydrogen is, 
how it's produced and how it reduces carbon emissions? Yeah, certainly. Hydrogen, uh, the lightest gas in the periodic table. It's one of the most abundant elements in the universe, just for a bit of background. Um, and it normally comes combined with other elements. So if we want to liberate it so that we can use it, uh, we either have to uh, separate it from uh, as an element out of methane, for instance, by steam methane reformation, uh, or uh, we use electrolysis to break out the hydrogen from water and liberate it from water. Both of these are quite energy intensive. Um, however, uh, once you get the hydrogen uh, and you actually consume it at the point of use, for instance, in a boiler, the only thing that the hydrogen will then produce when it's uh, combusted is water. So no CO2, no CO, and therefore uh, no carbon emissions. Mark, I think a lot of installers will be asking how hydrogen differs from natural gas. Looking at the supply and distribution side, does hydrogen use the same network as natural gas? And if so, what are the potential challenges? Yeah, the intention is to uh, repurpose the existing distribution network we've got throughout the UK. So just in um, the NGN network itself, there's 37,000 kilometres of distribution pipe work. And across the UK, there's 275,000 kilometres. Um, so no, that's the work we've been doing over the last four years is looking at how we could repurpose and reuse the assets within the existing gas network. Is there significant changes of pipe or anything that would be needed in the, in the network or, or are we ready to go with, with plastic widely available? Uh, the good thing that... Uh, we've got going on in the network at the moment is a mains replacement program so many of the listeners might have uh, had disruption in their streets where you'll see in the uh, yellow pipe replacing the old metallic so a project that was started over 20 years ago uh, replacing those old metallic mains in the street and now we're being replaced by the yellow PE pipe up to the properties that is uh, one of the biggest advantages we've got in uh, converting to hydrogen because that is uh, suitable or the PE pipe is suitable for the use with hydrogen. I think that leads me nicely onto the next question which I guess is back to you Steve. Can you tell our listeners what the difference between a mix of 20% hydrogen and natural gas and 100% hydrogen is please? Yes this is um, partly what uh, the confusion I think is out there that Spencer uh, referenced earlier. Um, there's two work streams uh, one is to mix 20%, as you say, hydrogen within the natural gas that's in uh, the current main supply. And the reason for that is because it's believed that a 20% mix is something that current and indeed some recent past boilers can actually uh, withstand. They can actually run on 20% mix as of today. And if that were the case, and we can prove it, and there is demonstrations ongoing to do just that, then we could quite quickly move to a 20% mix and start getting some decarbonisation using hydrogen today. Um, the, the other uh, element is uh, once you get above 20% mix, then you have to start changing appliances uh, and they become start to become uh, uh, different, certainly from a burner perspective and in terms of the control system that we use. And so uh, other demonstrators that are being looked at are for 100% hydrogen. Uh, and this is where uh, the reference that Mark made is um, we're looking at other work streams that in time will hopefully prove uh, that we can 
get hydrogen into the gas grid 100% and we can have boilers that are suitably adapted to be able to run on hydrogen for the future. Can I just add to that in terms of um, the Northern Gas Networks are obviously leading that project uh, with high deploy. So that 20% blend into the network is uh, due to go live in uh, July up at a site called uh, Wynn Layton in the northeast by Gateshead. Spencer, can you tell us a little bit about where Valent currently stand on hydrogen as a business and how we're investing its future potential? Yeah, sure. Well, Valent is the the global leader in in gas heating technology. And as you'd expect from a global leader, we we have a significant resource allocation ensuring that we are looking at the hydrogen future for not just the UK, but for also the wider European platform and obviously the world. as a business of our size, and what we do is we do gas heating. Hydrogen is just a gas. We're swapping one gas for another. As has already been alluded to in the conversation, the, the boilers we currently have out there already run to a 20% hydrogen mix as it is at the moment. So uh, for us, it's it's just the next stage of our evolution. You've got to remember, Mark, that uh, we've led the way with innovation over the last 50 years with regards to combination boilers and modulation and ensuring that, for example, on the green IQ, it's 95% recyclable end of life. So we're good at this stuff. This is what we do. Uh, we do it very well. What about the terms of timing, Spencer? What does the roadmap look like? Well, I think we're, we're, we're very comfortable with this. As I mentioned earlier on, the, the confusion in the marketplace of whether it's 100% hydrogen from the 2025 or just the new boilers coming through that are hydrogen ready. From a valent perspective, we're quite relaxed because we can do either. Uh, we're, we're in that situation whereby we invest in our R&D so heavily every single year. Uh, we can ensure that we are ready for any legislative change. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a task that uh, is going to be challenging for everybody, but we're up for it, and we will be there, and we will be ready. I think the important thing is that as a business, we won't start to engage with customers with any kind of uh, scare tactics about hydrogen. We will be very, very honest and very pragmatic about it, trying to steer everybody down that one single source of truth so that everybody knows where we stand and why we stand in that position, which is hopefully what we've been in the past, the the educator of the market to help them ensure that everybody knows how we go forward. And when you speak to people at Valent, you get good information and you know what they told you is going to come to fruition and you can prepare your business accordingly. We're trying to avoid the confusion in the marketplace and make sure that we communicate correctly as an industry to our industry so that everybody's saying the right things to the right people so we can do it together. Steve, can we look at the bigger picture for a moment? And can you give us a little bit of detail about the government's ambition and likely timings that industry would be uh, working to? Yeah, certainly. I think the the best way of sort of describing the government's ambition specifically for for hydrogen is to talk in terms of, uh, let's say, towns and villages. What's appeared in the 10-point plan and the white paper uh, and being further discussed is that uh, there's an ambition to get a a hydrogen neighbourhood, then a hydrogen village and then a hydrogen town by the end of the decade. So to slowly expand the use uh, and trials of hydrogen in a bigger and bigger uh, environment. Um, So... Uh, as I say, the, the hydrogen town is by the, the end of the decade. That is um, the 100% hydrogen product. Within that, and earlier than that, will be the 20% uh, 
uh, hydrogen into the gas mains. As Mark mentioned just a little bit earlier, uh, the plan is to um, get on stream a wider test at Winlayton uh, later this year, such that by 2023, and maybe Mark can confirm that, we should be in a position, everything going well, which we expect, to actually do a wider rollout of 20% into the grid. I think I'd just like to add, linked to that 100% conversation, um, obviously if we've got one hydrogen town by the, the end of the decade, uh, what we are trying to do is make sure that the uh, the infrastructure out there, the homes out there, are starting to be prepared for this hydrogen that comes along. And that's where the hydrogen ready conversation comes in. So there's been lots of talk about what hydrogen ready is. Uh, and basically it's how you prepare a boiler that is sold um, onto the market such that with a very small conversion, uh, it can be made to run on hydrogen at a future point. Um, the date of 2025 has been much mentioned uh, and indeed all the manufacturers in the industry have committed that uh, post 2025-26 any new appliances that are put onto the market will be hydrogen ready. So that's a commitment providing the government starts to harden up on some of this, this timetable because I think at the moment um, what they've committed to is to examine the use of hydrogen over these demonstration projects. So it's not really a commitment as yet, uh, and certainly to to prepare the supply chain to satisfy this projected demand in future, we would need some more of that commitment from government to do that. Okay, thanks, Steve. Now, we know there's no single solution, no silver bullet to decarbonising heat in homes, but Mark, from a network point of view, are some properties or maybe even some areas or neighbourhoods better suited to hydrogen than others? No, not particularly. Um, we're still going to have to go to every house and survey them to see what appliances they've got. Uh, we're obviously going to have to, to plan that and coordinate it. Um, the, the, um, the one that Steve mentioned just now regarding the hydrogen-ready um, appliances, that is going to be one of the biggest advantages we're going to have. Uh, in terms of networks and planning and the amount of the time that the conversion throughout the UK is going to take because the more that we've got in that are hydrogen ready particularly the boilers and the meters um, the flow meters are going to be uh, looking at hydrogen ready versions of those that that's going to be the, the, the thing that's going to make it uh, an easier project going forward. Mark, I'm going to stay with you for a second. And I know we've heard about um, no gas in new build from 2025, but conceivably, if, if hydrogen is a zero carbon gas, could that be used in new build developments moving forward? Yeah, no reason why not. Um, the The challenge would be um, if the hydrogen was in that area at the time. Um, you know, we can't mix the networks with hydrogen and um, natural gas. Um, it's talked about blending, but um, that's that is one option that we obviously uh, is is on the is on the plan for or cards for 2023. But if an area is not in the hydrogen area, then then that would be on natural gas for until that conversion is uh, complete. Mark, Steve just mentioned the rollout of 20% uh, hydrogen natural gas mixture from from 2023. Is that a realistic timescale? Yes, as mentioned earlier. We are uh, in Northern Gas running the first 20% uh, blending trials at our site at Winlayton, hopefully going live in July. Following that, 
testing for about 10 months, we will be looking at uh, various different areas of the network that we could start blending in uh, hydrogen into uh, into the into the area uh, for uh, up to 20 percent. So we've covered off the basics and I imagine there are a lot of installers listening who are thinking that hydrogen is maybe one of the front runners in terms of solutions to deliver a low carbon future. And while I'd agree that hydrogen definitely has a role to play, I think it's also important that we take a bit of a closer look at some of the practicalities involved in achieving the wide-scale rollout of hydrogen. I think my first question has to come to you, Mark. I think we touched on it earlier when you mentioned that hydrogen has the capability to be supported by the current mains gas grid. But what actually needs to happen to allow this? Is it really as simple as flicking a switch or maybe turning a valve? Unfortunately, no, it's not as easy as that. Uh, it's very much like what happened back in the late 60s, early 70s, when we converted from Towns gas to natural gas. We're going to have to do it area by area. So it's going to need some careful planning, coordination uh, from where the uh, hydrogen is going to be produced uh, and then have a rollout plan to uh, work out how we're going to take that out to, to the various different areas. In terms of plans... Um, you know, we're going to have to do it like a um, segment the network into small areas that we could take off offline for a short period of time, um, a couple of days. So we'd have to look at sectorising uh, and putting valves in um, that we can uh, convert that area to hydrogen while maintaining all the neighbouring properties that are uh, on natural gas. And what about the infrastructure itself? We hear a lot about um, the car industry and, and if people were to ditch petrol or diesel for electric counterparts and the, the, the electric grid simply couldn't cope. Can the gas grid cope with a wholesale switch over? And Steve mentioned earlier on about uh, electrolysis of, um, of water to make the hydrogen, green hydrogen. Can the electricity grid cope with, with that level of um, additional demand to produce the hydrogen? Uh, several questions there, so I'll try and uh, answer them. Uh, so in terms of the network capability, we've done uh, a number of projects looking at the capability of, of the network to, co- to carry the hydrogen. As you're probably aware, and I think mentioned earlier, it's got about one third of the energy value. So we're going to have to put more hydrogen through the network compared to natural gas. Uh, we just completed a, um, a, a nationwide um study on that with the other gas networks looking at uh, about nine urban areas to see what changes if anything need to be done there are a few areas where there are pinch points where there's a high velocities or there's some uh, pressure uh, low points so um, again very much like we're doing now with the mains replacement there's some um, reinforcement or interconnection pipe works that, uh, that can alleviate some of those uh, potential issues. <clears throat> we might also have to slightly increase the network pressure, but not not not, uh, not outside the bands of, of what we're allowed to do. And the uh, relation to the electricity network for production of hydrogen, currently um, the size and the volumes of hydrogen produced from electrolysis is great for small-scale trials, very much like uh, was mentioned earlier about the village type trials. But when we get to a town sized trial, then um, we'd have to look at uh, either steam methane reforming or autothermal reforming uh, from uh, natural gas just for the, for the volumes going forward. Um, 
we anticipate, and there's, there's been a number of studies done by um, Gasco's Green or ENA on hydrogen production, uh, and it's expected over the next um, few years, there's, you know, there's going to be new innovation and new ways of uh, either upsizing the electrolysis for the volumes, or even different ways of uh, producing hydrogen. Just paint a balanced picture um we need investment in the network if we switch to hydrogen we will equally need investment in the network and production capabilities with increasing amounts of electricity usage whether that's for home heating or or for cars so is that a fair comment that there's investment needed in in both infrastructures um, of which way we go or whether it's a balance between heat pumps and hydrogen i think uh, my comment and again i'll ask mark to sort of pick up afterwards uh, I think in both infrastructures need investment, uh, and the challenge is the seasonality of the of the requirement for uh, energy from the grid uh, for heat, uh, because there's about four times the amount of energy needed in winter, and I'm thinking of the one or two weeks in January. Uh, and if you've got uh, more electric demand, you're going to have to uh, obviously lift your electricity supply through the grid. Uh, but if you uh, tune it so that you've got more, let's say, hydrogen appliances in future, then hydrogen could actually account for that much in the way that uh, natural gas does today, because you can store, obviously store hydrogen for those peaks uh, in the winter months. Um, Maybe Mark's got a bit more detail on that. Yeah, we're expecting uh, more of a hybrid um, solution. So we're expecting, uh, you know, more heat pumps and and then than just purely hydrogen hydrogen boilers going forward uh, but yeah in terms of the um, the gas system yeah we've had um, various different um, challenges over the last few years Steve th- there's a lot of noise off the back of part L of the future home standard and, and the new building regulations that are coming through about new homes not being fitted with gas from 2025 but what about retrofit projects i mean it's estimated there's around about 15 million combis out there at the minute which will need replacing for most that will be a distress replacement when it breaks down I mean, heating is not the um, the most attractive uh, technology for for spending money and, and investing proactively on how do we encourage people to to start thinking about proactively changing systems and planning for replacement in future yeah, I think this is actually uh, quite a big challenge in getting the homeowner's knowledge up about what the options are uh, for decarbonisation of the home. You mentioned the future home standard. Um, clearly, that is pushing towards uh, new homes having a heat pump solution from 2025, although we did discuss earlier that, you know, could hydrogen still be an option? And I think that's still on the table until uh, all this is concluded. But certainly the drive is towards heat pumps. If you take the, that, uh, that drive and the 600,000 heat pumps that are in the uh, white paper uh, for 2028, the government ambition, they are talking about 300,000 in new build and then the other 300,000 being either off-grid or on-grid. And when you, as soon as you talk about retrofit on gas grid, which is the biggest part of all this, there are some challenges and you mentioned combi boilers 15 million combi boilers they don't have storage tanks so if you wanted to fit a heat pump you've got to put the storage tank back in 
there are challenges as I mentioned briefly earlier that uh, you've got to find a place to site, site the outdoor unit and particularly with um, the newer properties from 1990 you could find a lot of microbore small bore pipework in in if you like previously new build properties because that's what uh, the uh, um, uh, the home builders used um, in terms of retrofit though there is and we've done some studies on this in the past and I think uh, HHIC among others have also done the same there are on gas retrofit um, homes uh, let's say post 1920 pre 1970 when you don't have the um, the issues around microbore and you've got a certain level of insulation or you've got cavities there which can be insulated that is potential to put heat pumps in but I think um, very much it will need as Mark mentioned earlier some assessment of these properties on site to be able to accurately uh, look at what can be used in those in those properties um, in terms of homeowners noting that a heat pump system can be upwards of £10,000 on current um, current costs uh, if you include also the installation side of things um, that is the biggest challenge that puts homeowners off together with the disruption that they have to go through on uh, fitting these appliances um, but as I say that there, there are properties that are suitable but then it needs to be assessed to encourage the homeowners to switch in a positive way when as you say some of the, most of the gas boilers 75% are distressed purchases you can't put a heat pump in as fast as you can put a uh, combination boiler in for instance just swap one out you have to plan it you have to design it you have to make sure the heat losses are matched you might have to change the system it's much more of an involved process and so it has to be a proactive change to initiate that what's been done in the past is the incentives so whether it be green homes grant or rhi there's some kind of uh, incentive for the customer and the better ones are the ones that overcome the capital initial capital cost uh, and going forward we know about the clean heat grant which is being discussed to come in from 2022 if that was pitched at the right way that would certainly incentivize people to in the first place look at heat pumps uh, and potentially take it on if, if their home was suitable. Do you mind if I jump in there a second? Because obviously from a from a, a green perspective, we've got the opportunity now of in the UK, we're seeing a lot of energy being produced via, via uh, shall we say, natural resources, wind power, etc. You know, we are the world leader in offshore, offshore wind. So there is also the opportunity for those that are in the right position with the right house in the right area, where they could fit a heat pump and start to utilise some of these wonderful tariffs that are coming through from utility companies actually supplying heating into the and hot water into the tanks via a hot, uh, an air water heat pump on these periods of an evening when there's you potentially are taking money back they're paying you to take the electricity because they can't put it anywhere so there is also a, a massive opportunity from the from the um, the green situation of actually utilising the energy that's being produced that's not being used with these kind of systems as well. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Spencer. And it's all these kind of things that can um, help, if you like, level out the uh, the cost difference that currently exists between electric and gas, whether it's sort of uh, managing the, helping to manage the gas and electricity grid uh, by being able to, uh, you know, take any excess uh, and and handing that control over to the, to the utility is going to get uh, preferential, potentially preferential rates going forward. And I know that's been... Uh, discussed and worked on at the moment 
If any of the listeners are interested in the point Spencer made about offsetting electricity use, um, there is a previous podcast on controls and connectivity, which I would reference you back to. Um, some interesting points on demand-side response, demand-side management it made in that podcast. Um, Steve, just I guess to summarise that um, a few sentences, um, it sounds to me like it's going to be a mixture of legislation, funding or incentive in, in some form, and market mechanisms such as tariff uh, opportunities or, or levies on, on tariffs to really sort of stimulate that incentive. Yeah, I, th- I think like most of this discussion, it's going to have to be a mix of, of different things to, uh, to get this thing to work going forward, overcoming the capital cost, but also making sure that the metrics work out um, on running costs uh, going forward. And Spencer, Steve mentioned um, off-grid properties, so those fueled by uh, LPG and, and oil normally. Um, is there any advice that you can give there? Is hydrogen an option or is there some other low-carbon solution that would be uh, preferable in those areas? Well, I think, Mark, it's it's making sure you're crossing the T's and dotting the I's to start with. Have you got the right insulation, number one? Have you got the right control mechanisms in there? Uh, and making sure everything's set up correctly is probably the first and foremost thing to do. If you then are keen to still change your, your boiler, uh, be it to an LPG boiler or to an air-to-water heat pump, obviously, from my perspective, the air-to-water heat pump would probably be the preferred option if, you're, if you've got a suitable property to, to, to manage that. But that does come with the educational piece to the end user of how you use an air-to-water heat pump, which I think we may have referenced in previous podcasts as well. But I, I still re-reference it because it's a significantly different way of heating your house than the, than the gas boiler. We've all been used to turning the, turning the actual thermostat up when it gets a bit cold to warm the house up. Well, you, if you do that on the air-to-water heat pump, you're, you are literally burning money. You've got to allow for that that constant heat to kind of ebb its way through the house and, and not let the heat out. Uh, so it, it, from my perspective, I'd look at controls first of all. Then I'd look at if you was going to change it, I'd, I'd go for an air-to-water heat pump um, and making sure that you're, the end user is educated to know how to use it correctly uh, because that's a key part of the selling process of these, of these units. Thanks, Spencer. Uh, Mark, you've um, been quiet for a few minutes, so I'm going to come back to, to you now. Um, with government targets clear, we decarbonisation by, by 2050, 2045 in Scotland, we're already seeing hydrogen being trialled in, in small projects. You've, you've mentioned um, Winlarton and the, the blended mix. We also have projects starting in, in Scotland and certain other parts of, of the UK. There is also the first hydrogen town anticipated by 2030. But looking at the wider picture, what do you think the realistic timescale would be for the start of a rollout of hydrogen in the rest of the UK outside of um, field trial or test um, opportunities? Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that is um, the government's ambition of uh, town trial by 2030. We are trying to accelerate that. Um, there's a, a village trial due, which I think Steve mentioned, um, 2024, 25. Uh, and we're trying to uh, um, influence government to make that town trial slightly earlier. That, that's the that's the kind of the the last date, if you like. So the ambition would be to try and bring that in uh, before then. Uh, but in terms of um, the regional approach, approach, um, it's very much around the industrial clusters. So um, for us up in uh, Northern Gases area, we've both got the Humber and uh, Teesside. Teesside already produce uh, hydrogen, not at the volumes we're going to need. So we are talking to various different um, companies regarding the production of hydrogen 
uh, and seeing what their time scales are, what their ambition is. Um, there's been a um, recent document from the government. I think it was actually including the 10-point plan as well regarding the amount of hydrogen available for um, 2025, I think. Um, and they've been challenged in terms of, is that is that a big enough uh, volume that we're going to need going forward? So, yeah, it's going to evolve out from, from the uh, industrial clusters, uh, both for the hydrogen production, but also for the um, carbon capture related to the um, SMR, steam through reformers and all the thermal reforming as well. So that's where all the, the, the infrastructure is going to be for us to, to move forward. Steve, I know you were invited recently to the parliamentary decarbonisation of heat in homes call for evidence. Um, start on parliamentary TV, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the topic of hydrogen there was a key focus. What were the takeaways from this call for evidence in terms of what's needed both from the government and from those working in, in the industry to make hydrogen a reality? I think we've touched on it a little bit already. Uh, but really, for me, uh, the discussion was very interesting that in that particular oral evidence session. But coming out of that, what we really need to do is start putting some dates in the diary, um, commit to um, a plan uh, and a clarity on that plan and the mechanics of the rollout. As Mark mentioned, It'll be focused on the um, the hubs around the country, whether it's Teesside or the Humber, um, because that currently is the industrial centres for where natural gas is com- currently coming in, etc. So it's a natural place to start. Um, but how far, how soon can it actually move from that particular hub and how far could it, could it get? Um, these are the kind of things that we need to understand to, to look uh, from our perspective as a as a boiler manufacturer looking at these hydrogen ready appliances etc as to how many and how much we have to produce and put the supply chain in place Um, these kind of decisions might sound like yes they're coming but they're fundamental because we have to sort of source all this uh, infrastructure out before we can get to scale and it's getting to scale with things like the the hydrogen ready appliances uh, which will be key on making sure we can keep the cost down because the belief is that at scale, a hydrogen-ready appliance is going to be the same sort of cost as a current boiler. But we need to get to that scale uh, to be able to do that. Um, And I guess from that, it's also getting people's understanding, uh, clarity and belief in in the hydrogen debate, because there's clearly some uh, people that are less convinced about hydrogen, whether it's how much we can create, Uh, and and what techniques we're going to use uh, and whether we can uh, get that out in the in the system uh, to the extent that we we need it to be Um, so that's down to proving the methodology and transmission and distribution uh, which I'm sure Mark knows a lot more about Um, I think on top of that we need to make sure that our installers are informed the customers are informed and the installers in particular are being upskilled Uh, in this kind of technology so they understand what's coming. We're already seeing talk of hydrogen-ready boilers coming onto the market, but with the first hydrogen towns not expected until 2030. Spencer, do you think this is a worthwhile investment, investing in a hydrogen-ready boiler, or are there other initiatives and and other things a customer could do to make their home ready and more sustainable? 
Well, to be honest with you, Mark, I couldn't give you a better answer than the answer Steve's just given you. Uh, we really do need a proper structured plan from government about when geographical areas are going to come online. And we, we know what borders are in geographical areas. We can equate that, we can calculate it, we can forecast it, we can work that through. But as he also said, putting putting an on-cost onto a boiler when it's still a niche boiler into a, into a mass market will create on-cost for everybody. Now, I think we're all agreed hydrogen has a significant part to play in our future. But I think the government really do need to give us a very, very clear roadmap where, again, going back to this one source of truth, everybody can get behind it. We know where it's happening, when it's happening, why it's happening, and everybody works together on this. Now, on the other side of that, you have the opportunities with regards to existing uh, installations that you already have. As I mentioned earlier on, making sure your controls are up to stand is absolutely key. Making sure you have the right insulation in your house is also key. And understanding when to use and when not to use your heating is also key. Many people just turn the heating on and leave it on constantly. You know, do you need it on when you're... How many people sleep overnight with the window open but the heating on, for example? So there's all these things that we can do to save energy currently. And we have this magnificent product called Nair to Water Heat Pump, which we can utilise as well. So we can start to use that now. Again, it's education process, not just for the uh, installer, but also for the end user on how it's used, because it's a different different process of using it than it is to, to a gas boiler. But I think it goes back to the first point we said, Mark, it's the clarity that we're looking for. We need that clarity of information so that everybody can work together. We've got a fantastic industry that does things in a brilliant way. But if we've got one source of truth, one clear plan, we can all concentrate our energies to make sure everybody's aware of what's going on, where and when and why, and really make a difference. Thanks, Spencer. I think this discussion has built a really good foundation on both the basics of hydrogen and its reality. As I mentioned earlier, there's no doubt that hydrogen will play a part in the UK's low carbon future, both on a domestic and commercial scale. Looking now at the installers themselves, I think it's really important that we consider the practicalities that they'll be facing when working with hydrogen. So firstly, Steve, do you expect installers will need to do anything differently when it comes to specifying hydrogen appliances or undertaking installations? I think certainly because hydrogen is fundamentally a different gas that there'll need to be some changes to the ACS uh, uh, that they will need to take uh, going forward. So the training that they currently get uh, for current uh, natural gas boilers will have to be extended to sort of take care of hydrogen and its differences. I mean, fundamentally, it's a gas. So the actual processes that the installer will use in installing a product will be pretty much the same. But he needs to understand that there's going to be a different uh, regulator coming into the property. Uh, could be different uh, pressures, etc., uh, and slightly different operation mechanisms and the fact that it will be using a different burner in the appliance. But there'll be certain different characteristics that they'll need to know about. But fundamentally, it's a gas appliance. So a lot of the te technologies and techniques they use in installation process will be pretty much the same. You mentioned the um, the ACS scheme, Steve. Do, do you envisage a completely new ACS scheme or, or maybe more akin to the LPG with a separate module? I think exactly that. It'll be an additional module similar to the LPG one. Uh, as I say, it's, it's another different type of gas. So you need to know uh, what are the differences uh, of that particular gas. So again, exactly right. I think it's a, an additional module in their ACS uh, um, reapproval. And Steve, just stay with you for the, the last part of the certification discussion, I guess. Uh, appliances at the moment are either CE marked or UKCA marked. 
do you see any changes to this or, or an extension to, to those existing schemes for hydrogen? I think as we move forward, the UK CA mark, uh, stroke CE mark, depending uh, uh, where you're talking about in the in UK, um, will pretty much say, stay the same. It will just be adapted for, for hydrogen and hydrogen-ready appliances. So there'll be a, certainly be a, a tweak to the um, what used to be, I guess, the the gas appliance regulation and the standards that feed into it to account for hydrogen. Uh, but in a set, in a, in essence, the mark will be the same. It'll just be the uh, the approval regime that goes behind that. So adaptation and evolution rather than revolution. Yes, exactly that. Mark, coming to you on the on on the network side. There's currently regulation in place such as gas safety installation and use and the gas safety management regulations when it comes to supplying with or working with gas. Do you expect, uh, again, either new regulation to be put in place or adaptations of the existing regulation for for hydrogen? We're expecting uh, adaption um, for for regulations, but also for standards as well. So um, IGM produced a lot of standards that we... uh, um, install our equipment and operate to very much like for, for, for some of the stuff that you guys are involved with as well you know they, they're starting to look at the high level of abuse standards the TD range uh, but following that they're going to be working on the more detailed um, standards which obviously works into what the networks do and, and use for, for their procedures as well um, but we're also uh, working uh, in advance of those um, standards coming out um, so we've got a we've built a, a, a mock um, microgrid up at a, te- a test site up in uh, spade adam where we're currently looking at the way we um, operate maintain connect etc to to the existing gas network and seeing if we can do still do the same things we did with natural gas with uh, hydrogen going forward so we, we are looking at that um as, a, as an industry. Okay, building on that, Mark, is there anything that you can tell us in relation to the EU safety registration training scheme or, or any future plans therein? Yeah, the um, EU skills, um, they are doing some work which is funded by um, BASE through the High for Heat programme uh, and they are looking at the um, additional module, very much like Steve said, um, and, and the way they do it for LPG. So it's an additional module that um, um, installers and, and uh, gas safe registered people would have to uh, uh, go through for accreditation. Uh, and obviously, as networks, we have the um, uh, first call officers, so they have to uh, uh, um, be trained on how to deal with the different gases. Um, and we're also working with uh, with different parts of the network to look at um, how we identify when we go forward which network is in hydrogen, which which network is still on natural gas. So we're looking through all those safety procedures to ensure that uh, we, we maintain our safety record in the gas industry. And just to be clear, EU in that instance is energy and utilities as opposed to the European Union. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Steve, coming to you again and, and looking at the big picture. 
as we've said, there's no single solution for decarbonisation. And ultimately, there will be a role for multiple low carbon technologies. So what about the options for installers who are looking to make the transition? What other technologies are out there? We've talked about heat pumps. Is, is there anything other than, than heat pumps and hydrogen? I think the other key technology to bear in mind, and it's often overlooked when you discuss the, if you like, the basic technologies of heat pumps and hydrogen boilers, is the hybrid between the two. Um, particularly um, if you have challenges with particular households and the system that's within it, um, a hybrid solution could help you get over that. So when I talk about hybrids, I'm on, a, on about putting a, a heat pump together with either an incumbent boiler or maybe may an additional uh, a replacement one. Um, but certainly it can be mated together with a, with a boiler that is currently in place. Um, and uh, from the work that's been done, we, we know that if you size the heat pump for like half the heat load of the house, uh, 50% of the heat load of the house, over the season it can deliver probably 80% of the, uh, satisfy 80% of the heat demand. Uh, just, if you like, not being able to cope with the um, the heat demand for January when it's two weeks in uh, at minus six or whatever. Um, so when it's cold. Um, and for that, the, the boiler that's, that's there just takes over. So uh, having that kind of combined system is, is well worth, uh, I think, understanding, knowing about as an option, uh, because it can get around some of the issues that you, we can come up against. In, uh, in older properties where you've got uh, old established systems in there and it's quite, um, quite a challenge to, and costly to, to replace them. So definitely the hybrid solution is one to, to put on the, uh, on the profile of the, the installer, I think. Okay, thank you. Now I'm going to come to all three of you uh, in turn on the next question. It looks like there's still a lot of work to be done. What about the installers out there who are thinking of transitioning their business to offer low carbon technologies, including hydrogen or heat pumps? What advice would you give to them? I'm going to start with Spencer. Well, thanks, Mark. I think we've a lot to offer them, to be honest with you. We are absolutely going to stand by the side of them and support them through this, what is going to be the biggest transition in our industry for the last 40 years. With the training centres we have around the country and with our online and with our physical training that we can offer customers, we will absolutely ensure that we've got the best training to make sure they transition either from gas through to a heat pump scenario or from uh, uh, natural gas to a hydrogen scenario. And, you know, we've not been found wanting when it comes to supporting installers and making sure we're offering them the best training possible. We are currently going through a series of, of uh, work streams to ensure that we can make the journey as suitable and as easy as possible for them and I think uh, as you know yourself you're working with certain other shall we say uh, educational authorities to ensure that we have a joined up or blended view of what we do going forward and it's absolutely key that the installers out there know that we're here to help and we're here to support and we will do what we've always done we will always be there we'll always make sure that we're giving them the best advice we can giving them the the the, the one single source of truth uh, to ensure that they can give their customers the right information and to make sure that as we transition through 2030, 2035, 2040, we have got uh, a very, very credible, robust business and industry, which we can all be proud of, and to make sure that our end users come to us as the experts because they know they get the right information and they, get the, the, they have the comfort and the understanding that they will be told 
correctly what's the best way to heat their home going forward with these changes coming through mark anything to add from your side the, the one tip would be um, just to uh, be aware and and uh, listen out and for, for the various different uh, um, podcasts and, and uh, notifications being made out there. We, as the gas industry, try to uh, be uh, inclusive. So a good example is that is Wynn Layton. So those who were gas safe registered in the area were invited to a meeting it was online because of covid to make them aware of what we were doing for the blending so we'll try and keep um, various different um, bodies aware of of what the the changes and what's planned and steve i think we've talked a lot uh, today about the challenges of, of doing this decarbonization whether it's heat pumps uh, or the hydrogen grid and getting that right um what you can say from an installer perspective though this is a massive opportunity from our perspective as as spencer has said we've got all that they could want in terms of availability of training and support and it's an opportunity for them to take uh, um, advantage of that going forward so that my top tip would be upskill on heat pumps because it's coming and by 2028 if the government targets are, are on target, then it's to be about 40% of the market. So it's not to be ignored. But at the same time, hydrogen's going to be in there and therefore engage with some of these demonstrators if it's possible to do so, because uh, you're in the area, as Mark said. Or at the very least, get on some CPD courses and just get some knowledge about hydrogen and what it's all about. And then you'll be in good position to sort of move forward when it does start to happen and the momentum starts to go. Well, there we go. It's been a really interesting conversation today with lots of information for you to take away and digest. We'll be sure to pop the links to the relevant training and resources that we've mentioned in today's episode in the description below. All that's left for me to do is to thank today's guests, Mark Danter of Northern Gas Networks, Spencer Clark and Steve Keaton of Valen for their time and expert insight. I'm Mark Wilkins, this is Valence Technical Podcast, and we'll see you again real soon.